Kivach, and uh, I've been uh, told for our international audience that this year is the uh, Rafu Shlema for Issa Pinchas Ben Bina. Should have a Rafu Shlema. <clears throat> and a tremendous Yashukayach for everybody coming out on a Motsi Shabbos when there is so much to do. Um, it is uh, basically a little over seven weeks till Seder night. So, you just relax. <laughs> Don't think about anything. I heard this guy speaking once. He says, relax, who knows? Maybe your house is on fire, you know? It's like, you know, that's only seven weeks to pay stuff, you know? I was getting out of the car and somebody said, you know, they already said to heal him. I said, well, they must be expecting some terrible shear if they're first davening before I get here. <laughs> oh, God, let me get through this. Anyway... But it is, of course, uh, an amazing thing to see such an enormous turnout, as I mentioned, so close to Pesach, <laughs> which only reinforces what I always say, and that is there's absolutely nothing to do in Ramat Beit Shemesh. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's just the opposite. The fact that there are so many people who want so much to be mechazik themselves and klal Yisrael through the saying of Tehillim and Dvarim, that are there to be mechazeg ara amuna, which is such an important thing. Rev. Moshe Shapiro, who I do not have the ability to call my Rebbe, because that would imply that I'm a Talmud, and I'm not. Um, I had the schus of having a kesh with him. I had the schus of sitting uh, in his shir for almost 20 years. And uh, one time I... Uh, I was actually attacked for something that Ramesha had done that I was really only trying to defend, and I got into a lot of trouble, you know. And I said to the person, I said, do you really think that if Ramesha wanted to get a message out there, he would say, yeah, that guy in the fourth row taking notes who really doesn't understand what I'm saying, that's who I want to, you know, publicize my position? So I told this over to Ramesha, and he says, it's really very funny. <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but, you know. I was honest. <laughs> so I knew very well, you know. But uh, I remember after 9-11, um, he, uh, he would say to anybody who would listen, he says, this is Gogamogo. This is the beginning. And uh, it's, it's only going to go downhill from here. It's, it's, this is a very, very serious thing. So I said, what do we do? He says, Ein od milavadai. You have to focus that there is nothing in this world but a Kodesh Baruch Hu. At the time, I was teaching in Ur Sameach. So I said, so Rebbe, you know, we have these guys that walk in the door. They're not from. So should I say, you know, usually we say, take some classes, take on some mitzvahs. But, you know, basically you haven't got a lot of time left, so you better get from real fast, you know. <laughs> he didn't answer me, <laughs> as he usually did not when I would say things like this. Very often when I would say something, he would go, no. On occasion, he would go, no, no. <laughs> One time I asked him, I said, when do I get a new, when do I get a new, new? He said, Zebe Metzod. <laughs> That's already a secret, you know. But, um, uh, but he, uh, you know, there was a, um, uh, you know, I said, should I just tell them, you know. Anyway, he didn't say anything. But as I was leaving, he said, Vadai, we have to keep doing what we're doing. We have to put one foot in front of the other, and you have to, you know, even if the world is ending, You've got to get the kids off to school. You've got to make lunch. You have to clean for Pesach. Not the people here, but other people. <laughs> who find that a little bit more of a, you know, a, a drive. Anyway, by the way, they, the Chazal always says, you know, what's the connection of Purim before Pesach? The answer is, in case you think there's any place you don't have to clean, that's what Shalach Manus is for. You understand? <laughs> you can get little kids running around little bags of uh, pekalach of, uh, you know, all over the house. Oh, anyway... I don't know if Reichdown says, and he says, I was cleaning out the closet, and I found in the back a shoe with a cookie in it. You know what I mean? A kid decided to stick it in over there. So if you're not nervous yet, we will try to make that a real possibility by the end of this year. <laughs> in any event. But uh, so he says to me, of course, everyone has to continue doing what they're doing. He says, I'm talking about up here. Ain't milvadoi. There's nothing in the world but a Kodesh Baruch Hu is a mindset. It's a fact that we have to integrate, that we have to incorporate into our lives and into our reality. 
More than one from Jew has said to me over the years, I know there's a God, I just don't believe it. Right? What does that mean? It means intellectually I know that it's true. I know all the proofs. I know all the things. Roshach once went to the Briskarov and he says, Amuna? Can't have any sign as Amuna? Everybody knows that. And it was an intelligent person can figure out that there's a God and he gave the Torah. It's Amuna. Yeah? The famous Rebuchanan uh, Vasiman, where he writes that the fact that a non-Jew is obligated in the Shevet Mitzvah and Noach, one of which is to know that there is a God, means that any 13-year-old non-Jewish kid can figure out there's a God. Otherwise, there's no way that you can hold me responsible. Yeah? So he says, I, 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 how big is Amunah? Anybody can figure out there's a God. And the Briskarev says, you're right. The Nisayan kicks in when it's not obvious. When things get hard. When things get difficult. That's the, that's the Nisayan. And that's what Rabbi Meisha said to me already back in, in 9-11. That the Takufa we're going through now, we have to mechazek ourselves in Amunah. And like most things that I say, people will tell me afterwards, easier said than done. And I said, that's true. Everything is easier said than done, with the exception of Kriyashma. Because there the saying is the doing. But with that exception, you're right. You're right. It's easy, it's easy to talk about. It's when things get really hard. It's when you're, when you're really put into that position. You know? And suddenly you're being tested. And you, and you have to now turn around and say, how do I get through this? How do I, how do I continue to keep my focus? How do I meet Risa Rotman when this is before her husband died for a year? He was a Goises. They chopped, he was one of the Harnof. He was the fifth one. Died a year later. You know? And, 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 and here he is. Uh, her, she's a living widow. It's a terrible thing. And I meet her in Oshaad and she says to me, look at how beautiful the tomatoes are. Do we appreciate that a Kodesh Baruch Hu gives us such beautiful tomatoes? You know? So, uh, you know, that's the moments in our lives when we have to be able to turn around, you know, and say, wow, look at how wonderful this is. Look at how good things are. It's when things are going wrong. It's when there are problems in our lives. When everything's going great, then it's easy to be a maimon. It's when there are, when there are problems, when there are things that are, that are not happening. Yeah? So, um, uh, so I want to address a topic that is essential to our Muna this evening, and uh, you will forgive me because the water is, I haven't learned how, like Basparo, to stretch my hand like that. And I am sitting here now as I'm, as I'm preparing to, to have this drink of water, the significance of the fact that it's a holy bagel cup. Is there something here that I don't know? Was there refreshments before I got here? <laughs> Am I being uh, left out? <laughs> I was, uh, I, I was speaking, you know, this, this, I was a scholar in residence at a Pesach hotel, and, um, and there was uh, many people over the course of Pesach who told me that my shirim literally changed their lives. Literally. And at the end of Pesach, the very end, the last Suda, the entire hotel gave a standing ovation to the chef. <laughs> so I have a pretty good idea where I am in the hierarchy of things, you know? And that's why almost any Jewish event you see a sign, you know, on the bottom, refreshments will be served, you know? I was speaking at the University of Pennsylvania, and I took a sign off of the hillo, and I held it up. So just show you that I'm not making this up. You know, special course offered on the Holocaust. Learn about the destruction of your people. Refreshments will be served. <laughs> so, uh, so if there's refreshments here, and I don't know about it, there's going to be a reckoning. I spoke at a at an Omen Kenis with Pesach uh, Kron. And I sat there. It was terribly hot in the room, but I waited to make a brach on my water. Everyone answered, I'm made, and I said, I'm done. <laughs> anyway. So let's, uh, the Ramban writes at the end of Parsha's bow. The story of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is to inculcate into us Emunah. 
When a Kodesh Baruch Hu introduces himself to the world in this week's parsha, it is, Anoichi Hashem Eloikecha. I am the Lord your God, who took you out of Egypt. Not who created the world. Who took you out of Egypt. Something that you could see, something that was tangible, something that was realistic. Today you have people who doubt it, question it. But uh, Mati Berger used to do this amazing class. He said, it's you know, 70 years since the Holocaust, and we have Holocaust deniers who deny that it ever happened. What's going to be in 200 years? What's going to be in 300 years? How could we make sure that people can't deny the Holocaust? He said, well, write it down. Make a holiday remembering the Holocaust every year. Um, you know, teach it to your children. You know, he went through all the different steps. So then he said, you know, there are people in this room who deny Martin Torah. And 3,300 years ago, they asked the same question I just asked in this room. And you know what they did? The same exact thing. They made a holiday. They wrote it down. They said, teach it to your children. So why are you any different than a Holocaust denier? Oof. But those of you who know, Mati Berger knows that he does not uh, play fair. So, you know, but it's a really powerful idea, right? But Matan Torah is there to inculcate in us the sense of Amuna, to make it tangible to us, to make it a part of our lives, to make it real to us, right? What is Matan Torah? Yeah? Um, the Seder, which is seven weeks away. <laughs> One of the most annoying tunes that has ever been written. <laughs> and we don't even bother that the word should fit into the song. Yeah. It just goes on and on. You know, if you get that one, you're trying to fit the words in clever, you know, forget it. You know? It goes through fifteen steps. Right? The last two steps. The last one is the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim ends with the base of Mikdash. Says the Ramban, that's why Sefer Shmos ends with the building of the Mishkan. Why? Because in Parsha Shmos, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, in what schus am I going to take the Jews out? And he says, because I'm going to give them the Torah on this mountain. Which means that all of Yitzhak Mitzrayim was for us to be able to get the Torah. That was all one thing. The fact that there's seven weeks of Sferis Aimer, as the Ramban says, it's one long Cholomoed from Pesach to Shavuos. It's a whole process that takes place. So, Yitzhak Mitzrayim brings us to Har Sinai, and then we build the Mishkan, which the Ramban describes as a traveling Har Sinai. It is a means for us to continue getting the Torah. Moshe would go in there and Hashem would speak to him. It was an ongoing Har Sinai. And that's all of Sevishmos. Those are the steps of the Dayenu. That's everything that we're going. That is the fifth Lashon of Geula that has not taken place yet. Right? There's four Lashonos. You know, and, and the, uh, the one is, I'm going to take you for a nation. That's at Har Sinai. And the last one is, I'll bring you into Eretzra. And that, there was a break. Because we didn't get the door who got the, the first four, didn't get the fifth. That was the break. Yeah? That is the missing step in the Geula. That is the fifth cup of wine at the Seder that we call the Kosher Eliyahu that we put in the middle. Because Eliyahu is going to bring the Geula. Get it? Yeah? That's the fifth one. That's the completion. But it's all leading up to this process. Four of the steps we got. The fourth one was, we came to Harsina to get the Torah. So this is Okay. The Parsha, which deals with the actual Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, and uh, as I mentioned, it's a process going from Bo to Bishalach to Yisro. Obviously, Bishalach, Kriyas Yamsuf, was an essential part of, of Matan Torah, I mean, of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. Because until then, we didn't sing Shira. You know, when we saw Mitzrayim, when we finally saw that we knew the story was over, that's when we sang Shira. But until that point, it was a process that we went through. So, um, and then we continued the journey. 
Yeah, it's a journey of seven weeks. Interestingly enough, that's how much time there is till the Pesach Seder. Anyway, so, will he stop? No. Anyway, so, my wife always tells me, you know, you, there's something called filters. You don't have any filters, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so, uh, I once had, I once had my Shana Bet girls over my house for, you know, for Malava Malka, and as I was, uh, Saying the things that he usually say in class. My wife would say, uh, Rabbi Olavsky, I don't think you want to say that. Uh, Rabbi Olavsky, I wouldn't say it that way. Rabbi Olavsky, I don't know if that's what you mean to say. <laughs> so the next time I was in class, I started to say something. The girl said, you know, if your wife was here, she wouldn't let you say that. <laughs> I said, you're right, but she's not. Anyway, so... <laughs> anyway... So this is the process. So let's take a look at the part we see in Sashayim, Parsha's bow. The single most famous vart on Parsha's bow. And I point this out because um, there is an art form to saying vortlach. Yeah? I had, there was a time when I was younger and I had a lot more patience. I used to make everyone who came to my Shabbos table say Dvar Torah. Now I have no patience. Yeah, I really, you know. It gets much easier. It's much easier anyway because, you know, if, uh, if I invite seminary girls over, they all talk to each other and then say thank you and leave. So um, I don't really have to do anything. I have a nice quiet dinner with my wife. But, uh, but uh, you know, but she was like the hawk, you know. Anyway, so I make them say it about Torah. So, uh, so one time my guy gets up and starts reading. He wrote it out. It was incoherent. I mean, literally incoherent. I couldn't understand what he was saying. I looked at the paper. It's all Rosh Tevos. It's I in here. Look over here. That. He took it from the Amos of Yaakov, and I look in it. It's old Meyer Makomos. I start looking at it. Finally, I look at him. I said, why did you choose this one? It's the shortest. There's the shortest piece there. I just copied it out. I figure, you know, so that's an art form. So there's certain vortlach that are known. They're famous vortlach to be able to say, on a parasha. I had one guy who came several times, and uh, when it was his turn, he would always say the following. The Torah starts with the Bays and ends with the Lamed. Backwards, that spells Lave. You should always learn the Torah with all your heart. Okay, it's cute, but like about the third or fourth time. <laughs> so one of my daughters said, Torah starts with a tough and ends with a hey. He spells out te. You should always have a cup of tea when you learn Torah, you know? <laughs> I said, the Torah starts with the Bays and ends with the Lamed. If you say that twice, it's Balbel, and that's what you're doing, you know? But in any event... <laughs> so, uh, so in Parshas Bo is the most famous vart. Bo Begematria is three. And there's three Makos in Parshas Bo. Shkoya. <laughs> I remember this was years ago, you know. I had somebody, a yeshiva guy in my house, and I said, no, say a vart. He says, I can't. So the Gedolim in America said that we've made new takonis for weddings. No more vart. Only a l'chaim. Give me a drink and I'll make a l'chaim. <laughs> it was a great line. Anyway, <laughs> you get points for creativity in my class, you know. We had like two pages of Gemara because it makes a reference to this place called Rekem. And the Gemara says, there's Rekem over here, there's Rekem over there. And it's just like, oh, whole coming Gemara. So in the test, I wrote, where's Rekem? And one guy had the shortest answer. I gave him credit. He said, where isn't it? <laughs> I said, no, nah, that works for me. <laughs> I think you've, you've captured the essence. <laughs> he was the same guy when I asked, what's a brysa? He said, the little Mishnah that couldn't. So uh, I gave him credit. For sure, I could not give credit for that. Anyway, so, uh, so, boom, it's three. Okay, very nice. Yeah. But uh, here's the cute thing about uh, the word bow. Since it, right, what does bow mean? Bow means come here. Now, what's that? Bays, Aleph. There's two, and you come over here, and now we're one. Bays, Aleph. That's a cute way of being able to write bow, right? Come like this, yeah? Bays, Aleph. You know, you could have used the word av and also equaled up three. But of course, what's Av? Av is a father. Why? Because in order to be a father, you have to have a child. You don't have to take care of that child. You do not have to change their diaper. You know, you don't have to engage in conversation. I heard this one guy saying, he says, I was just walking through the living room trying not to make eye contact with my family. 
I was afraid they'd ask me to do something. And I was like, just, you know. Anyway, so all you need to do is have a kid. You're an av. means you're an aleph who becomes a base. You're one and you become two. Cute, eh? Yeah, so that's what, it, that's what, that's what av is ultimately. It's one, it becomes two. There's a, there's a certain process that goes on, right? Interestingly enough, the words base and aleph in that order also appears in another place. And the Maharal describes this in what's called Osios de Rebbe Akiva. And the Osios de Rebbe Akiva, this Medrash tells us a very strange story. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to create the world, and he had to decide which letter to start with. And every letter was vying for position. Tuf said, I'm worth the most. I'm worth 400. Gematria. Yeah? Lamed said, I'm the tallest letter. You know what I'm saying? Ches said, I'm the coolest to say. This is how you can weed out the Bali Tshuva. <laughs> <laughs> I used to teach an Or Sameach. What a cruel thing to do to someone who's starting out. That's why Aisha Torah, they got rid of the Torah because it was too hard because people were saying Torah. So they just turned it into Aish. Aish, can you say that? Aish? <laughs> if, not, if not, we'll call it Fred. I don't care. You know, we'll come with one word that you can handle, you know? But uh, Or Samech. Then they made a kolel called it Meshachachma. I mean, really, really. <laughs> a little consideration. You know, you beat these guys. I'm in Meshachachma, you know? I was like, <laughs> cut the guy some slack, you know? But, and each letter was vying for position, and everybody was saying, well, we should start with you. Except for Aleph. Aleph said nothing. And Hashem said, Aleph, why don't you say anything? And he said, because I'm a silent letter. <laughs> no, he didn't, he didn't say that. But that's what I would have said. <laughs> but no one asked me to write the Medrash. Eh? He says, Aleph, how come you don't say anything? <laughs> Isn't that a great answer? <laughs> anyway, there's certain jokes that I enjoy much more than the people who are listening, but I don't really care because I'm at an age now where I'm basically here to entertain myself. So anyway... <laughs> And the great thing is that I have so much credibility, it doesn't really matter. Somebody told me once they were in the audience, and like everybody's laughing, and this guy says, I don't get it. And the other guy says, neither do I. You know? like, but they knew it was a chisarin in them, because they know that I must be funny, and so it must be... They understand it was their problem. You know? it's like, and I always make these references to things that you know, people weren't born. When I, the only audience that got all of my jokes and all my references is when I spoke in Century Village in uh, Boca Raton, you know, the retirement village. They got everything, all the references. But anyway, so uh, I was speaking once at a yeshiva. I made reference to Jimmy Durante. They all started laughing. I said, you never heard of Jimmy Durante. You have no idea who I'm talking about, you know? He was on the radio in the 1930s, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I live in the past because I can't afford the present, so <laughs> I find it's cheaper. But anyhow, um, so he says, Olive, why don't you say anything? He says, me? I'm worth the least. I'm only worth one. So how could you start with me? And Hashem says, I'm also only worth one. So he says, you're going to start with me? He says, don't be ridiculous, you're only worth one. I'm not going to start with you. I'm going to start with Bayes, because Bayes is the letter of bracha. But don't worry, Aleph. Sit quietly, <laughs> like you get a choice. And I'm going to use you as the first letter in the Aserah Sadibras. Adorable. What an adorable medrash. How could you not hear this and just, you know, be tickled? All the little letters. Pick me, pick me, pick me. What are we talking about? So the answer is the following to understand this. Um, I will reference a Tosfos at the beginning of Psachim that says the following. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do this. There are certain people who, when they make Kiddush, they look into the cup. There are some people, before they make Kiddush, they look at the Shabbos Licht. Right? Both of these are brought down as ways to save your eyesight. Because it says, anytime you take a psia gasa, anytime you take a big step, you lose one five hundredth of ma'or enav of your sight. Says Taisvis, in that case, um, after 500 big steps, you should be blind. So Taisvis brings two answers. The first answer is what's known as Zeno's paradox. Right? Zeno, who was a French, uh, a Greek philosopher, 
and like most Greek philosophers, had much too much time on his hands and used it basically to annoy people. That's why they killed Socrates, because he just kept getting on everyone's nerves. You know what I mean? So Zeno was one of these. And Zeno said, if I want to walk from that wall to the back bookcase, I'll never reach it. Why? Because in order to walk it, I have to walk half that distance. And then I have to walk half the remaining distance. And then I have to walk half the remaining distance. And then half the remaining... And I keep walking half the distance, so I'll never get there. So it's a paradox, because although it may sound like it makes sense, we know that we will, Lemaisa, reach the back wall, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah? It's a paradox. So, Lahavdil, Taisva says, that you lose one five-hundredth of your eyesight, and then you lose one five-hundredth of what's left, and then one five-hundredth of that, and one five-hundredth of that, and it's so, it's a slow process. Yeah? That's his first terence. His second terence is, Kol Haskolos Koshos. And it's only the first step that affects you. And this is such an important lesson. If you are here this evening, the odds are you were not born in Israel. You might be. You know, there are some people who come here just for the uh, experience, you know, and uh, they don't understand a word I'm saying. And, what's that? And she was. Yeah, no, this is second generation people come sometimes. I have, I have a friend who encourages his kids to come to my shiurim so that they can learn English. <laughs> I'm saying, boy, you sent them to the wrong guy. <laughs> but anyway, but, uh, but most of us probably, you know, this is not our native country, right? We had to make a decision to move here. A decision we probably have reconsidered many times. <laughs> you know, but... You make that initial decision. Once you make that first decision, a lot of other decisions just follow automatically. It's that first step that a person has to take. A person who decides to become from. When I make that first decision, there's going to be hundreds of decisions that follow that first decision. But that first decision is the hard one. Everything else is more or less following that. When we decide to marry somebody, right? So that's a very difficult decision to be able to get married, right? Much harder for women than for men. As you probably know, when you were dating, you know, it's very common that the men are ready much sooner than women because women go through a tremendous amount of angst. I don't know. I spend the rest of my life with this guy. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to change my name. I'm going to move with him. Is this what I want, you know? And guys are like, you cook? Okay, I'll live here. (laughs) They, They don't like really think it all through, you know? And that's why, like, guys are always surprised when they get married and their wife is upset because, like, they didn't come home, you know? Oh, I'm sorry, were you expecting me? <laughs> well, yeah, I made supper. Oh, that was nice. No, I went out with some friends and got a shawarma. Ah, it didn't occur to you to call, did it? Oh, oh, am I supposed to do that? <laughs> so men have to go through a process of training, you know what I mean, until they become functional human beings. But, uh, you know, but... But once a person's made that decision, a lot of decisions follow through after that. But it's the first step that very often puts us on a road. Um, I don't know if it's appropriate for sure, but those who appreciate the reference, yeah. As Bilbo Baggins says, be careful when you step out your front door, because the same road that leads to the Shire will lead you to the lonely mountain. How true. In any event, you take a... It doesn't matter if you know it. Does it doesn't I had a Rebbe once, you know, who said, if only you could learn to use your mind for good instead of evil. So I, I took that to heart, and I figured all the nonsense that I've picked up along the way must be there to use as mishalom. So, In any event, uh, you know, when you, when you make that first step, right? Because the beginning, a lot of things follow in that. Therefore, the first letter that you're going to start the Torah with is going to define the mahalach of the world. And that's why that first letter is so incredibly important. So he says, I'm going to start with Bez, because Bez is the letter of Bracha. Says the Maharal, not because the word Bracha starts with a Bez. There are plenty of terrible words that also start with a Bez. You know? Blechi. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know? I'm sure if you sit down, you can think about it. You know, Plenty of uh, yichi words you know, with, uh, with, with Bez. That's not what he means. It says, Be'ez is the letter of bracha because bracha always means more. It's increase. I have one, and I have two. Two is the way of saying more. And that's why it says the Maharal, the word barach is made up of the letters that equal two, twenty, and two hundred. I've got one, I've got two. I've got ten, I've got twenty. I've got a hundred, I've got two hundred. Bracha is increase. And the more bracha there is, the more increase there is, and the more that it spreads. 
I can't make a world that's echad. I can't. Because then there's no way that anything can exist independent. <coughs> I started giving a shir um, 11 years ago. This Yom Kippur, this Arab Yom Kippur will be 12 years. Where I started going through the Aleph days uh, of the Orshamnu and the Alchets and explaining why everything is there. So I explained, what's the, in the Orshamnu, what's Bez? Bogadnu. What's Bogadnu? We rebelled. Which is different than Moradnu. Bogadnu, Bogad is a traitor, right? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu separated us from him in order for us to join back together. And instead, we took the opportunity to separate from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and just to be all over the place. That's what that's what Beis is. That's what Bracha is. There's lots of stuff all over the place, but there's nothing that brings it together. Ultimately, the purpose for Kodesh Baruch Hu separating us from him was for us to join back together. That's why he creates Ishva Isha as one being, separates them into two beings for them to be able to join back together. That becomes the goal. The goal of the Beis is to join back as an Aleph. And that's why very often three is not one, two, three. Three is one, two, and the three is the connection. I.e., Avraham is Chesed, all the way to the right side. Yitzchak is Din, all the way to the left side. Yaakov is Tiferes, the middle. And in the Tzuras Adam, Chesed is the right hand, and Din is the left hand, and Tiferes is the chest. The, the two of them come together. Because the two extremes have to meet together to be able to join. It's the base that becomes the Aleph. Now, interesting that you see as Mitzrayim begins with the word bow. Right? That's how it starts. How does it end? Rav Moshe Shapiro once said in the Shir that the end of a parasha basically sums up what the parasha is all about and what the whole message is. Here is the end of the parasha of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It will be a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. That is one of those great words that mean absolutely nothing to anybody. And I never understand why there are people who are so makbid to translate Hebrew words into English words that nobody knows. Phylacteries. Do you know anyone who knows what phylacteries are and doesn't know what tefillin are? Uh, I have a pair of tefillin. What? Phylacteries. Oh! <laughs> These are words that I call art scroll words that exist only in art scroll language that nobody ever uses. Like, behold. When's the last time you used the word Behold. Hear, O Israel. Who sticks an O in the middle of a sentence? It's not even O-H, like O Henry. It's just an O, you know? Hear, O Israel, you know? It's not like you're Irish, O Israel, you know? It just puts in an O. Vessels. I love that one. They always translate Caleb as vessels. Vessels are ships. Nobody in the kitchen says, Oh, do you have a few minutes to wash the vessels? Just say Caleb, you know? I was speaking for Rashi Simon in his center in London, and he says, next Saturday night we're going to have beginning the penitential prayers. I said, say slichos. No one knows what penitential prayers are either. So just say slichos already, you know? It's, uh, this is a little pet peeve for me. Anyway, there'll be totafos between your eyes. Totafos is something that really has no translation. Yeah? And that's why the Targum, who we rely on, says it very well. Utfilin necha. There'll be tefillin between your eyes. Yeah? There's no word for totafos. Rashi says it's a hybrid of two words in two different languages. Uh, whatever. And this is the end of the parish of Yitzhiya Sitzrayim. And it'll be a sign on your eye, uh, on your arm, and totafos between your eyes. Now, here is one of those areas where the tzadukim kicked in. Yeah? Um, the tzadukim and later the karayim the Sadducees and the Karaites both rejected the Torah Shabbat Peh and made up their own version. But it's going to, by definition, have limitations. 
So, for example, the Kra'ayim took the tzitzis and hung it on the wall. doesn't say you have to wear it. Or Isamoisai. You'll see it. I'll see it better on the wall than I will if I'm wearing it. It says take a four-cornered garment, put on tzitzis, hang on the wall. So, there was a kid. <laughs> he, uh, he was living somewhere where there was nothing. He was a Jewish kid. So, he got a hold of the Bible. And he read. You're supposed to put fringes on the corners of your, body, of your garment. So he goes to the hardware store and he asks them for fringes. They put on a curtain. And he attached them to the corners of his garments. And he comes to Israel, comes to Yeshiva, and they're like, what's that? Because Don't you read the Bible? These are fringes. So they said, you know what? There's a carite shul. I think you should go there. Yeah? So he walks into the carite shul and they said, what's that? Is that tzitzis? He says, no, no, those aren't tzitzis. These are tzitzis. And they get hung on the wall. He says, who said? Who told you that's what tzitzis are? Well, you know, we have a tradition. Because I thought you don't accept tradition. That's always a problem. So tefillin, you know, there are ten mitzvahs of tefillin that halacha moshe misinai. So you have all that. But what's their point? They would wear them over here, between your eyes. Now, we know what's the halacha. You wear it at your hairline, or for many of my friends, where their hairline used to be. Yeah? If they can remember, you know? I spoke at a family simcha once, you know? And I said, you know, we Orlovskis, we all have our hair. We've got heart disease and diabetes, but by goodness, we have our hair, you know? So one of my son in laws who's losing his hair, he says, I might be losing my hair, but at least I don't have heart disease and diabetes. <laughs> And I have to tell you, you have to really think which one you want. But anyway, so... Because at least if you go, people will say, oh, you look good, you know? <laughs> anyway, so we put it over here at the hairline between your eyes. Now, that's a bit of a stretch, you have to admit. This is between your eyes? Where would I put the tefillin over here? Why should that be the place where the tefillin go? Rabbi Shapiro pointed out once, there are two things that are always drawn wrong. One is a heart. Isn't that beautiful? We draw a heart like that. Yeah? You know what a heart really looks like. You know, it's like kind of like long with little tubes coming out of it. Not so romantic. <laughs> you give someone a candy in the shape of a heart, you know, boom, 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 boom. boom. <laughs> but that's so romantic. We always draw it wrong. There's something else that we draw wrong. And that's the luchos. We draw it like this. The Gemara in Baba Basra says clearly that the two luchos, when you put them together, form the cube. Six tvachim by six tvachim by six tvachim. Each one was six tvachim by six tvachim by three tvachim. They were, you know, uh, rectangular. When you put the two of them together, they formed the cube. They didn't look like this. This is McDonald's. <laughs> and I have no question that that's the reason so many Jews go there, because they thought that was the Ten Commandments on the outside. <laughs> Millions served. <laughs> I see where that could mislead somebody, you know. So he said, it's not by coincidence that these two things are drawn wrong. Because there is a Pasik. Kosav aluchais libecha. Write it on the luchos, on the boards of your heart. Now, kosav al-haluach is not in modern Hebrew we say aluach, which is something you write and you... Erase it. A luach was something that you carved into. Yeah? We, this, this for us in general is a, is, a, is a difficult concept. We don't even... You can't, you can't even imagine. If you wanted to print something until the 1400s, you took a wooden block, you carved the entire page out backwards, and you carved it all out, and then you put that in ink and you printed it, and that was called printing. That was already, right? And then there was nothing you could do with it. You held on to it forever. Came along Gutenberg with this unbelievable idea. I'm going to take a little metal A. I'll make a hundred of them. Then I'll make a smaller A. Then I'll make a smaller A. I'll make a smaller A and a smaller A. Then I'll make a lowercase A. Then I'll make a smaller one and a smaller one. Hundreds of each one of these. Then with B, C, D, dots, spaces. And then he would take a board. When you look at a Chumash, you know, you look at a newspaper, they would take each little letter of each size, stick in spaces until they had a whole line tighten it, 
and do it for the next line, the next line, the next line, and then they could print it. And when they were done, wash it off, open it up, put all the letters back in the box, and start again. That was an unbelievable technological achievement that changed the world. Right? Today we type any nonsense we want, push a button, boom, it comes out. You can play around with the fonts. You can come up with 35 fonts. People write things today, it looks like a hostage note. You know what I mean? And there are 18 different fonts and sizes and stuff, you know? You can do anything you want. You know? It's an unbelievable thing. But, but back then, Kosav Aluchos Libecha means you carve it into your heart like you would carve it into stone. Like the Luchos. But Kosav Aluchos means that they carved it in. It was carved. It means permanent. The luchos look like this because they look like a heart. Why does a heart look like this? Yeah? So, you know this. Ahava has the same gematria as echad. Parenthetically, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the Seder, which is about seven weeks from now, <laughs> we say echad miyodeya. And then we go up. Right? Six, five, four, three, two, one. 10, 11, 9, 8, 7, 3, 5, 1. 13, 12, 11, 9, 9, 9. What do you start at 13? You can't make up a 14 or 15? I could. Yeah? We did it once at I Kept going. Not at the Seder. We did it the next day. Yeah? You keep going. Because 13 with Gematria is Echad. When you start at Echad, you go up to 13, which is Echad, and you come back down. Yeah? It, it comes together. Ahava is Echad. Because what's Ahava? Ahava is coming close together. That is Ava. That is the that is the challenge of Avodas Hashem. Because you have to serve Hashem by Ahava or by Yira. Yira is something that makes you pull back. Ahava is something that makes you pull close. And so you're in this tension. Come close to the Chachamim and warn yourselves, but don't come so close that you burn yourself. You have to come close and hold back. Come close and hold back. This is always the challenge to be able to establish an equilibrium. You can't have too much of one or too much of another. Says the Maharal, our months of Churban are Teves and Tammuz and Av. Because Teves, the days are too short and it's too cold. And Tammuz and Av, the days are too long and it's too hot. You know when our Yom Tovim are? Nisan and Tishrei, in the equinox. Half day, half night, not too hot, not too cold. That's when things are the way it's supposed to be. That's the ideal for a Jew. A Jew does best with a balance. Ava v'yira, bring the two of them together. Ava means karov, means to become echad. So that's how we draw our heart. Two that become one. And we write the luchos the same way. Two that becomes one. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world with bracha. Lots of different stuff spread out all over the place. And the only purpose of it was to join together with the Aleph of Anoichi Hashem Alekecha that the Aseris Hadibros, that the Matan Torah is supposed to bring everything in the world Tachas Kanfei It gives it purpose. It gives it meaning. The two that become one. The Gra on Mishlei says... If you take a look at Birchus um, Kohanim. So you know it's three words, then five words, then seven words. But not exactly. Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha. Two in Hashem's name. Yo'er Hashem panav elech v'kineka. Four in Hashem's name. Yisa Hashem panav elech v'yisem l'cha shalom. Six in one. And those numbers are on three dimensions. Length, length and width, Length, width, and height. Right? You have, the Maharal says this world is six because it's four directions up and down. The point in the middle brings it all together. It's six and one. That's Shabbos. Shabbos is not number seven. Shabbos is six days you work and on the seventh day you enjoy everything that you made. Six years you work and on the seventh year you enjoy that which you produced. Yeah? That's whenever you find the numbers three, five, and seven in its truest sense, it's six bringing it together, four bringing it together, and that's why there's, there's four koisais that we have at the Seder and the fifth one in the middle that's there to bring it all together. Yeah, it's that fifth that's supposed to unify the four. And that's the same thing with three. 
There's one and there's one and the point of unification, of coming together, the purpose of the bays, bow, is you're over there and I'm over there, bow. It's the bays of creation ending with the Aleph of Matan Torah. It's already in the Talmudia Rosh. Right? I may not get all my medical terms correct. Yeah? I did not finish medical school. I, I, I'm a Kohen. So I left uh, actually before I applied. But um, <laughs> if you want full disclosure. But, uh, you know, but that's for a different reason. It's, uh, I cannot handle the sight of blood. If one of my kids get cut, they know. Sit in the corner and bleed. Don't go to Abba. It'll just be worse. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't handle blood. I, 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 nothing. Yeah. Anyway, so. That's why baking matzahs is so hard when you have to get that Christian child. I'm kidding. <laughs> that is a joke. <laughs> Someone's going to be at home watching this. I knew that was true. <laughs> it's not true. We, we ushered it at the last meeting of the elders of Zion, okay? So it's not there. <laughs> we took that right out. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, I got the trip with Arya Kaplan one year because of this. Anyway. But um, I'm making one of these jokes. But uh, the, the point of the two has become one. So they put the tefillin over here. It's posture, it sounds like Ben Necha. But that's a joke, because you don't see over here. If you paid attention during biology class, and I have nothing but the greatest respect for you, I'm going to have a quiz afterwards. See if you remember what Malthigian tubules are in the grasshopper. But in any event, thank you. Um, what you see over here, you don't see here at all. You see over here. Because your eyes see two separate pictures that are upside down and backwards. And you imagine how frustrating that would be if that's what you saw, right? You know, as you see with binoculars, you see two separate pictures. Now imagine the two pictures you see are upside down and backwards. The mind has to take those two pictures and unify it into one right over here, which I think is the optic nerve, although a doctor corrected me recently, so if there are any doctors in the audience, no, no. Anyway, right over here is the, the... That's why someone gets hit in the back of the head and they can't see. Because you really see over here. It's an illusion that you see over here. You don't see over here. Right? The ganglia, if I have that correct, takes the vision and brings it back to the optic nerve. But you know, it doesn't go straight back. They crisscross right over here. This is Bene Necha. Nothing happens over here regarding sight. It's over here that the two pictures meet and then meet over here because all a vision is to take the two eyes and turn it into one picture. It's the base that becomes the Aleph. And Parsha's bow, which begins with bow, come, the two that become one, ends with tefillin, which is Bene Necho, where the two eyes becomes one picture, where it all comes together. And that's the introduction that leads us through a seven-week journey to Har Sinai in order to be able to receive the Torah, the Aleph of the Bays of Beratius. Because ultimately, everything in this world makes sense. We don't always see it. But that's the purpose of Matan Torah. The purpose of Matan Torah is to be Megala everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu opened up all the Rikiyas and he opened up the Tahaim and he showed you everything and you were able to see everything. If you can see everything. Right? They could. That didn't stop them from making a mistake with the Egil. Because their hold on reality was shaken. But a person who could really keep that focus regardless of what happens, no matter what, that's the... Sh- that's, that's, how strong is your hold on reality? That's the question. How we all know this. Right? Um, those of you who may have been battling a weight problem, I have been wrestling with a weight problem my entire life, and the weight problem has always won. Yeah? Every time I wrestle with him, he throws me to the ground, you know, and it's, it's a difficult. But you know this, right? You know, when you're good, and my nutritionist, one of them, uh, several of them, Turn to drugs and alcohol. But, but the, uh, one of them said to me, you can't say good and bad. You have to, you know, keep your, keep your focus, you know, you keep working on it. But uh, those of us who diet, we know you're either good or you're bad. That's it. There's only two things. Yeah. When I'm good, right, 
and I have type 2 diabetes, so it's like pretty serious, you know. So when I'm good, when I'm in that religious fervor that only dieters can get, you know. And uh, so people say to me, oh, you really have to try this piece of cake. I say, is it worth dying for? I don't know if it's worth dying for, you know. I said, well, you know, I have diabetes, you know. I said, where is it? So sometimes they say, yes, it's worth dying for. <laughs> I said, but then I have to taste it. You know? <laughs> and only once were they right. <laughs> it was a piece of cake that I was prepared to die for. But, uh, you know, that's why there used to be a bakery in Brooklyn called Lowen's that used to make these cream puffs. Anybody ever have Lowen's cream puffs? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if Olam Haba is not as good as Lowen's cream puffs, I ain't going. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I was in eighth grade. I was at a Shabbaton at somebody's house and they had a box of these. Me and another kid, we were staying there. So they gave us a drink, you know, and said, here, you know, maybe I have a cream puff, you know. And we took one and we looked at each other and went, oh, no, 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 no. It was the most amazing thing in the world. So there's no question that if it still existed, I would have died years ago. You know, it's like, uh, there's no way I could turn down Lowe's Cream Puffs. But, uh, you know, but come on, really, in the real sense of things, have you ever heard this expression on a Shabbos? Someone's at a dessert and they're like, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. Now, why would you eat something that's going to fill you with self-loathing? You know what I mean? Why? Because I have to disconnect myself from reality. There has to be a certain something, right? I have a group of women here, and I know this topic almost never comes up. Sneeze, you know? I always feel like I should slip it in because nobody else talks about it, you know? But I sometimes have girls, you know? Uh, and I say to them, you know, what you're wearing there is inappropriate for reasons X, Y, or Z. And they, like, roll their eyes at me. Yeah, okay. I said, one second, you believe in God, you believe in Torah, you believe in Allah, you know that? Yeah, yeah, but, you know... <laughs> That's not really an intellectual response, you know. You know, why am I wearing that? Because I'm making a disconnect between my value system and what I really want, you know. And there's a, I always love it. Sometimes, a, you know, somebody will ask me a question, you know, and uh, we'll talk it through. And I never try to sell anything. I have no values. I don't try to give over any values. You know, I try to help the person define their values and based upon that, make a decision. So I would tell them sometimes, based on what you're telling me, you shouldn't do this. And they make that face. I said, what? He goes, but I really want to. I said, then do it. He says, no, no, but I need a rabbi to tell me it's okay. It's okay. Is it really? No, but if you need a rabbi to tell you it's okay. <laughs> no skin off my back. I mean, uh, you want me to tell you it's okay? I'll tell you it's okay. I don't really care that much about you. You know what I mean? Like, you, know, you want to go ahead, you know? And they're like, and sometimes like, okay, good. <laughs> and then, because that person is it making a disconnect from reality. Mutton Tyra. Mamin Harsinai was there to give us a complete glimpse of reality where, where we're totally in connection with what is right, what is true, where the base becomes an olive, where all of the pieces come together so we see clearly. We don't see two pictures. We see one picture. We make a heart between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu where we create the sense of unity and sense of reality. They found a poem from a little girl in Auschwitz who said, I believe in the sun even when I don't see it shining. And I believe in God even when I don't see his goodness. Yeah? It's easy when everything's going well, as the briskerov told Roshach. The real new science starts when there are, things aren't going our way, when there are problems, when there are challenges. You know? And I'm going to tell you something now that is almost worthless to tell a group of women. And that is... Most things are outside of your control. I know you are convinced on a primal level that everything is your fault. And if you just handled this differently or said this differently or did this differently, then the world would be the way it should be. You know? And so you sit there all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you replay conversations in your mind. I don't have to tell you this. Women spend most of their time inside of their little, you know, world. You know, I see my wife, you know, and she's like, <laughs> like, what is it? No, no, it's nothing. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, really, what? And suddenly we're off. And I'm following the yellow brick road, you know what I mean? I, where she's going. 
You know, with all these thoughts, how can a person handle all this guilt? Everything is your fault and everything you did wrong. And, you know, and, uh, gosh. And you don't have to worry. If you don't yet have, you know, uh, adult children, that's their job. They'll sit around the Shabbos table and tell you how you ruined their lives. That's what they're there for. And how everything you did was wrong. And how everything, <laughs> they handled everything, you know. But, but women just eat themselves up alive. Sometimes literally. You know what I mean? That's where they get eating disorders. You know what I mean? They, they just they start eating themselves up. They can't handle it, you know? Most things are not under your control. Nothing you can do about it. You know? <clears throat> I'm taking my whole family to, to America. We were taking one of those five o'clock in the morning Swiss air flights. You know how much fun those are? You know what I mean? With all the little kids. And we're waiting on line and we get the slowest check-in person. I have a gift for this. I can find the slowest check-in person. Anyway... She puts in everybody's passports. She puts in all the information. She pushes the button. Nothing comes out. Nothing. So she does it all again. And we're looking at the thing, and boarding is starting. My wife says, what are we going to do? I said, nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. Okay, so she calls over somebody else. They look at it. They send it to the, to the supervisor, which is on the other side. And she walks as quickly as she types. You know what I mean? <laughs> supervisor says she's going to have to write it out by hand. 11 boarding passes, no, uh, yeah, 11 boarding passes and 16 luggage tags. I offered to help. She says, no, she has to do it herself. And she writes as fast as she walks and types. Yeah? <laughs> so now it's towards the end of boarding. <clears throat> Mark says, what are we going to do? I said, there's nothing I can do. I can't make her write any faster. I can't. And then we start hearing the announcements. My wife says, they're calling me. I can't do anything. Nothing I can do, you know. Either we'll get on the flight or we want. There's nothing I can do, you know. And eventually, they come down. You know, one of these guys with the you know, microphone. Like that, goes, Olovsky, Olovsky. And after the point, goes, come on, dude, the flight's going to leave. You know what I mean? She, she hands us finally the last of the boarding pass. We run off. You know, we're Mari's running to the plane. I cannot tell you how happy the people on this plane were <laughs> to see 11 Haredim walking onto their flight. After they've been delayed for a half an hour. And we all get on the plane, and half of my kids say, I'm not going to sit there. <laughs> and I took whoever was the baby at the time and my wife, and I sat down, and I said, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> Either they'll sit down, or they'll get thrown off the plane, or I don't know. Not. If you think I'm going to reason with a bunch of teenagers, I trust me, it ain't going to happen, you know? And eventually they all sat down, and eventually took off, and eventually got to America, and there was nothing I could do. You understand? And the older I get, the more I realize that most things are not in your control. The only thing that is in your control is you. And even then, most of it's not. The only thing that is really under your control, as what Mike Shapiro said, is up here. Ein od milavadi. Most things you cannot control. Most things you can't. Anyone who has decided to drive on 38, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's nothing you can do, especially when there's a nice clean stretch and you're behind a truck, you know? And the only thing that's more fun than that is that when you drive at night through the mountains and you're behind a truck. That's the only thing that's better. And you keep thinking, how much do I want to live? <laughs> Think I could pass them? I don't see anything, you know? I mean, the road continues for almost six feet that I can't see, so I go, maybe on this next curve I'll risk my life because it's better than sitting behind this guy, you know what I mean? There's nothing I can do. Most things are out of your control. There's nothing you can do. Isn't that one of the great things about being in Israel? You walk into a store, they say, Einze Ba'aretz. I said, what do you mean it's Einze Ba'aretz? I put it in another store last week. Yivsha. <laughs> never happened. Doesn't exist. Never happened. It was never there. You imagine the whole thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And it's pretty bad when it's a medication that you need. That happened to me once. You know what I mean? They didn't have the medication. Einze Ba'aretz. You know, I remember I went from place to place and finally they checked on the computer that there was one store that had one box left. You know, and I run out there and I'm waiting online and I'm sure everybody here is going after my box. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and I got, I got my one box to carry me. You know, nothing I can do. There's some things I can do and some things I can't and that's it. You know, and the only thing I can do is know HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. And my experience has been that he knows what he's doing. I was going through a particularly difficult time once. And I had a friend of mine who was a Hasidisha, and he sees me. You could see it on my face. And he said to me, Rebbe Levi Yitzhak Badichev was walking with his Hasidim. And he stopped and he said, if I was a Kurdish Baruch Hu, you know what I would do right now? They said, what Rebbe? I said, whatever he's doing. Why, you think I'm smarter than him? 
And I laughed, and it has become my mantra. Yes, we think we're smarter than God. We think that if we were running the world, we'd do it better. God, you know everything. You're the Almighty. You're in charge of everything. But in this case, you dropped the ball. And we know better. And therefore, I have tried to adopt this in my life and say, I don't want to be God. I don't like the hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not for me. You know, I, I know he knows what he's doing, even though I don't understand it, but he's got an unbelievable track record. More times than not, he's proven that he knows what's going on. And our job is to see all of the details and all the things. My, my daughter was trying to get to seminar, if you've ever been through that experience, and she was going through a very difficult time. And finally she says to me, she says, Abba, what does Hashem want from me? And I said, when it's all over, I'll tell you this, the Dishmaya. And when it was all over, I could see it clearly. But at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's Amuna. Amuna is, Kodesh Baruch Hu's got a track record. Kodesh Baruch Hu knows what he's doing. Kodesh Baruch Hu's running the world. And we have to put upstairs, inside of ourselves, and Od Milavadai. And if we can integrate that, then Amir Hashem will have the ability to be able to stand up to the Nisyanis in our lives and to be able to bring that Amuna, that Amir Hashem, is the key to being able to bring Mashiach. Thank you very much.